Hello and welcome to a Hoover Institution Roundtable discussion on Reagan's Soviet Policy as a Guide to Dealing with Iran, North Korea, and Other Rogue Regimes. Our speaker in this recording is Yuri Yarim Magayev, a visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as a scientist and human rights activist. His remarks were recorded on March 23, 2016. Uh, let me say first... Uh, what was impetus for this round table and why it started? And everybody has the PowerPoints if yeah. they don't have the a good The PowerPoints the same as on the screen. Uh, in August of this year, I published an article in National Review about what I consider problems with our Iran agreement <coughs> and that it <coughs> didn't use lessons of the Cold War with the Soviet Union. And I got many replies from our Hoover fellows. And what was important, that replies differed not only on the issue whether we can apply our Soviet experience to Iran, but also what that experience was. Was actually what were our rules of engagement during Reagan's administration. So I was a little bit surprised, but not so much, that there still not, there is no consensus yet and no agreement on what this rules and policy was. And I think that uh, what actually brought to this round table. Uh, so the question which we pose, can we identify from Reagan Soviet policy general rules of engagement that could be applied with similar success to other totalitarian states such as North Korea, Cuba, China, Iran, and I even mentioned ISIS here, which I also consider a totalitarian state. Whether we like it or not, it's state and it's totalitarian. Can we employ these rules in current circumstances to avoid reinventing the wheel? Or are current totalitarian states so different from the Soviet state and so different from each other that these general rules of engagement do not hold. Now, the goal of this roundtable is not to find, to get to ultimate conclusions and decisions, but actually to set, to establish a probable cause for importance of that issue to further investigate. So that uh, what we see as the goal of it. Uh, now, so. One thing which I want to say from the outset, which is very important, I don't suggest that we can apply uh, the Soviets, uh, the Reagan Soviet policy to Soviet Union to other totalitarian state exactly as it was. What I suggest is three, the possibility of three-step process, that we should first separate general rules of engagement from this policy, from idiosyncratic rules, which were specific for the Soviet Union at that moment of time. <coughs> then assess whether those general rules, not the whole strategy, but also those general rules which we can separate, uh, could be applicable to other totalitarian regime. And if that is the case, to amend those rules with specific considerations for each country and develop different strategy for each of them. 
So the question is, are there such general rules which we can extract and how uh, effectively we can use them? Oops. Oh, sorry. Now, to make such a project and idea substantial, we, there should be two conditions met. There should be enough similarities between different totalitarian regimes, and if we manage to identify those rules, they shouldn't be trivial. So if there are general rules, but they are so apparent that we adhere to them anyway, dealing with totalitarian countries, it wouldn't much satisfaction for our search. So I'll try to make brief points that such general <coughs> rules do exist, and by no means are trivial, actually that we do not adhere in many cases to them, and that we ignore them is the reason of many of our mistakes in foreign policy toward those totalitarian countries. Uh, well, are there enough commonalities that characterize the contemporary totalitarian regime so that such rules of engagement exist? Uh, and uh, the question, to answer this question, uh, step back for a moment, I want to say that we should consider those commonalities two important conditions. First, we should concentrate only on foreign policy. There are many differences between different totalitarian states which have absolutely no relevance to our foreign policy. So when we look at them, they seem very different, but when we try to focus on foreign policy only, there is much more similarity between them than it appears. Second important point is that when we look at ideological states, and all of them are, for example, at communist states, they undergo very similar patterns of development uh, of ideology which first grows and declines, etc. So there are different stages of development of those totalitarian states. And because it started in different times, they can be shifted in time. So the patterns are often more similar than it looks when we look at them instantaneously. <clears throat> but if we take into account the shift in time, we'll see that North Korea is virtually identical to the Soviet uh, Union under Stalin, etc., etc., etc. So we, if we make those two considerations, that only relevance to foreign policy, and this possible shift in patterns, we'll realize that there is a lot of common things between different totalitarian states. And here I mention them. It's, first of all, it's predominance of ideology, because you cannot have totalitarian... Oh, sorry, I make a difference in the beginning between totalitarian and authoritarian regimes. The totalitarian regime controls all aspects of human life, political, cultural, religious, etc., while Authoritarian regime controls mainly political life. Now, for totalitarian regime to control all aspects of life, there has to be ideology, totalitarian ideology. And the ideology is predominant in all totalitarian states. We should realize that leaders of that states have very little control over ideology. Rather, ideology selects leaders which are suitable to it at every given moment. Now, second common characteristic, 
aggressiveness and or expansionism. And we see it with all states. China was considered maybe as not expansionist country, but last events and last <coughs> years show us that it has this quality as well. Now, anti-Americanism and as important part of ideology, which is very important, and whether you take Islamism or communism, it's there and it's very essential part of ideology. Why it's important? Because it's not simply tactical and foreign relation matter, it can, it would exist as long as that, that ideology remains in place. It's as part of foreign policy, as domestic policy for all those countries. Our values are different from their values and offer diametrically opposite. There is no human rights, no political freedom, zero, zero tolerance for dissent, no rule of law, and control of information over their citizens. So those are common features of virtually all states which I mentioned. And they are important from our perspective of uh, foreign policy. <coughs> now, what strategy, what general rules of engagement follow from them? Uh, I would divide them in long-term and short-term strategy. Now, the, when we talk about long-term strategy, we should remember that any totalitarian country, as I say, because of it, its anti-Americanism is our enemy and will be a threat to us and our allies as long as this regime exists. Now, so the only ultimate solution of removing this threat is regime change. Now, I know that this phrase is not very popular now after what happened in Iraq, but we should not fully concentrate of not very successful Iraq initiative, and remember that the Soviet policy, Reagan policy towards the Soviet Union, was the ultimate policy of regime change. And it was explicitly formulated, because if you take such phrases as evil empire and sending communism to ash heap of history, you couldn't formulate more explicitly the goal of regime change which was present there. And uh, now, the only thing, so what's important, and that is very successful policy of regime change, not like Iraq. So we should not concentrate, we should now identify what the differences, why the regime change with the Soviet Union was so successful, and with Iraq, far, far from that. And the Importance is, is conditions uh, and methods which we pursued. And in terms of conditions, it was important timing that the Soviet ideology was already on decline. And the second important factor was internal dissent, that, which was important factor in helping to change this regime. We didn't have none of that in Iraq. We didn't have any internal dissent in Iraq. Methods were also important. Actually, what we, what was done in terms of method, it was neither traditional military nor diplomatic approach. Actually, it was, instead of it was new approach, which was peaceful offensive combining delegitimization of totalitarian ideology, public diplomacy, and support for internal dissent. 
So it's very important that it was not attempt to change regime by military means, but rather by totally new and different approach. And uh, so that is long-term strategy. That's now ultimate goal in long term. Now, as we understand that we cannot force it, that we cannot change the regime instantly, and as long as it exists, we have to deal with those totalitarian states, so we have to have uh, 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 interim rules uh, engagement. So it's two-pronged policy, pursuing long-term ultimate goal and utilizing interim rules of engagement. And so the first condition is that we should try, uh, while in, invoking those interim rules, not to, not to undermine our ultimate goal. So it should be cost-effect analysis. Whatever we do in short term, we should remember about our ultimate goal. I list briefly those rules and get to the final points. So what are those uh, interim rules? Confront totalitarian ideology. No defense or apology in ideological warfare. No moral equivalence. Support for human rights, support for dissidents, peace through strength, steady and sure, no reliance on common values and goodwill, trust by verify, and that those regimes couldn't be our allies. Now, la last point, uh, that those rules are not uh, self-evident and trivial. Because in all recent uh, uh, interaction with totalitarian countries, we actually deviated from those rules very significantly. And if we take China, we greatly abandon dissidents and issue of human rights. We make China our main ally in negotiation with North Korea and Iran. We didn't, don't challenge much ide communist ideology there. Actually, we kind of decided that it doesn't exist there any longer, while it does. With Iran, again, it was two crucial moments. One, in 2009, when we had a great opportunity of dissident movement and we completely abandoned it. And the second was when we signed this treaty with Iran. Now, the matter was not signing treaty, but the matter was that we completely abandoned any challenge to its ideology, we completely forgot about its political prisoners, we mentioned about four Americans held there, and we got their release, but we never mentioned about Iranian dissidents and Iranian political prisoners. With North Korea, we don't have enough effort in public diplomacy. We can do much more in terms of radio, TV broadcasting, and trying to bring in information technology there, which is possible now, despite its close country, but quite porous border. And finally, with Cuba, and I listened to Obama's speech two days ago, and we had a lot of moral equivalence in that speech, and no mention again about political prisoners, about support for Cuban dissidents, etc. So those examples of deviation from those general rules, which I think actually create many mistakes in our foreign policy, delays possible regime changes in these places, and also doesn't give us anything. This also completely unnecessary concessions, which makes our positions only weaker, not stronger. Uh, first to Corey's remark about economy, why I didn't mention it. Uh, 
because that tool virtually didn't exist with the Soviet Union then, and it wasn't part of Soviet Union. Now, understand me correctly, I don't say that we need to use only those general rules which we use as the Soviet Union. Okay. I actually stress that we should amend them with new rules, taking account developments and new situation in the country. But we shouldn't forget and drop those rules which work for all those countries. And second, about clarifying those rules and sometimes uh, making those choices, it's very important to refine our terminology, I believe. For example, we use the term constructive engagement. And we kind of see dilemma, is a constructive engagement or confrontation? Now, if we look at Reagan's policy, we had, I believe, and Secretary Schultz says if I'm wrong, we have simultaneous policy. We have in constructive engagement with the government and even people, and at the same time we continue to confront its ideology. So there was no contradiction. We can do it in parallel. <coughs> so it's not such a black and white situation, and the same with linkage. It's one thing treat linkage as linking directly any action to another, but it's totally different thing to pursue, for example, arms agreement, but at the same time never abandon issue of dissidents and political opposition, which I believe was clear case during all Reagan's economy. What I'm against is to make such concessions, you know, for the sake of some treaties, forget completely a drop issue of dissidents, drop of their support. Mike met with dissidents when he was ambassador, and I believe it was a policy of Reagan administration, whatever since happens, meeting with dissidents, supporting dissidents, was going as unconditional thing. And in this sense, we can treat it linkage, can call it linkage or not, but in broader sense. But again, terminology, I think, is important. And if we refine some of those concepts, it can help us. So just, the, I, I believe, exactly, two-way street. Because the, the regime you're talking about also is looking for linkage. We'll talk to you about arms control if you don't talk about dissidents. And the truth is, you know, I skipped over Iran in the interest of time, but we didn't do that in the Obama administration. We did decide that uh, getting a nuclear weapons deal with them was more important. And then, you know, the summer of 2009, Abbas actually came and briefed some White House officials during the Green Revolution. There was a very conscious decision to not talk about that in the interest of that. And I think that was a mistake. I agree. podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, iTunes U, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.